Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. Day. And we're coming to you live from the gleaming offices of Grant Thornton overlooking the Customs House and the Convention Centre here in Dublin. Coming up on today's show, we'll be talking to GT's tax experts and what they think about the budget. But we'll also hear from the boss of IBEC and his thoughts on uh, that and all the markets as usual. You can email us, business at newstalk.com. But first, let's have a look at the main business stories in the newspapers and websites, all of whom lead, of course, with the budget. Owen Burke Kennedy in the Irish Times reports that the state's budgetary watchdog has questioned the government's rationale in providing a €2.7 billion in temporary measures to address the cost of living increases when headline inflation is falling and the economy is still growing relatively strongly. In a flash response to the budget, the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council claimed the one-off measures, which included three further €150 energy credits, ran the risk of fanning further inflation. The Council also repeated its criticism of the government's decision to abandon its own 5% spending rule, claiming the coalition's spending plans would breach the spending rule every year out to 2026 and would undermine the path for Ireland's public finances. Pre-budget, we said the government should adjust its plans to stick to the national spending rule and there was little justification for further temporary measures given falling prices, the strong economy and the risks of fueling more inflation, it said. Gordon Deegan in the Irish Independent reports that on board Planola has rejected a request from North Dublin residents that it stage an oral hearing into DAA plans to ease restrictions on the operation of its €320 million runway. The... This is now over 14 months since Fingal County Council granted planning permission to DAA to amend two planning conditions attached to the original planning permission for the runway, which remain in place and it curtails flights between 11 and 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. DAA is seeking amendments to the runway's 2007 planning permission that would allow the 3.1-kilometre runway to be used between 6 a.m. and midnight and that a noise quota system would be used to dictate the number of nighttime flights at the airport. The airport operator in August last year succeeded on both fronts with Fingal County Council decision, and the decision was appealed by local residents' groups. Lisa O'Carroll in The Guardian reports that the EU has issued a warning to Elon Musk over the alleged disinformation surrounding the Hamas attack on Israel, including fake news and repurposed old images on X, which was formerly known as Twitter, of course. The letter comes less than two months after sweeping new laws regulating content on social media seen in the EU came into force under the Digital Services Act. If Musk, the owner of X, does not comply, he can face a fine of 6% of his total revenues from X or a total blackout in the EU. Thierry Breton, the commissioner responsible for DSA, wrote to Musk last night to urge him to ensure a prompt, accurate and complete response to the request to contact Europol, the EU police enforcement agency, and relevant law enforcement agencies within the next 24 hours. And that was 10 hours ago. Now the time is 6.35. Extra payments for parents, extra supports for landlords, a tax cut for most earners and some treats for nearly everyone in the audience. If we didn't know better, we'd think there was an election on the way. But what did the budget do for companies? Joining us to decipher it is Sarah Meredith, tax partner with Grant Thornton, and Andrew Webb, the chief economist with Grant Thornton. Good morning to you both. Can I start with Andrew Webb, please? What is the macroeconomic and geopolitical backdrop to this budget as it is published? Good morning. I think 
just hearing yesterday some of the, the global picture from the likes of IMF suggests that the, the global economy is in limp mode uh, and will be over the next year. So still those very uh, challenging inflationary pressures. Uh, we know inflation is coming down, but it's it's a bit stickier than, than had been hoped. So that was the global context. Um, then we have our own context where we have the ESRI talking about growth of 1.8% this year and 2.4% next year. So that's that's not a great context into into which the the budget had to play, and as well, then we're seeing some of those corporation tax receipts coming in most recently, just a little bit behind where um, they had been expected to. Still quite generous, though. Very, very. I mean, a great great performance, but just just a just a nudge that that this could stop, yeah. but, and um, you know, there's just a bit lower than than thought. We also have consumer sentiment pretty much. In, you know, through the floor, the consumers are really concerned. I think the weight of those interest rate increases mm. um, and the, the the inflationary challenges, oil prices are now starting to creep back up and we're seeing that again at the petrol pumps. Mm. So all of that has been playing in and uh, the budget has had a, a firm eye on that in terms of trying to ease that. Did pressure. they get it right, though, in terms of helping those people who have been affected by soaring energy costs and potentially interest rates, even we saw that support for mortgage holders, and being prudent? I think the prudent part is the eye on the future with the new funds. I mm-hmm. think the, the now piece... Uh, I hear the argument from the the Fiscal Advisory Council that this could be potentially inflationary, and and the logic flow is that you know when you have an economy like we do with such high employment um, and operating at capacity, that to stoke that fire will potentially lead to more inflation. The the flash response from the the Fiscal Advisory Council suggests that that impact will be you know 0.2 percentage points on inflation, so which is modest enough. It is modest, and I I would take a view that. Misery is a lot worse than inflation. <laughs> so consumers, you know, listening to reaction over the last number of hours, you, you, I just heard so many people talk about how they were struggling to make ends meet. They have nothing spare. Hmm. You know, pay lasts a few hours, and then they're they're thinking about where to cut corners. So hmm. you have you have a massive consumer base who are struggling to make ends meet. So I I think to ease that pain is is a you know a, a decision that politically makes a lot of sense. Economically, I don't think it's going to be particularly damaging inflationarily. Let's bring in Sarah Meredith, tax partner here with uh, Grant Thornton. Uh, Let's talk about the big corporation tax uh, changes. We know uh, changes are afoot big time next year and what it means for business. Yeah, morning, Joe. So I think one of the really significant changes coming down the tracks is Pillar 2. There's been a lot of talk about Pillar it. Pillar 2 is code for? And it's essentially the minimum tax rate. Okay. So it's a move to 15% rate. Mm. But it only applies for groups where the consolidated turnover is over 750 million. So when you and look there's only a handful of those. Correct. And in terms of numbers, there's 67 in scope groups located in Ireland that will be caught by that rate. And there'll be 1,600 in scope multinationals that have constituent entities in Ireland. So actually, for the most part, a lot of Irish kind of indigenous groups and Irish companies. They won't be caught. Won't be pulled in, correct. But of those 67 groups that you're talking about that will be affected by this higher corporation tax, um, 
That's not going to scare them away, though, is it? An extra I, I two and a half percentage points? I don't think so. Like, it's been very well flagged. Uncertainty is one of the cornerstones that's really important to corporates mm. in terms of structuring and setting up in Ireland. So I don't think it will um, affect, you know, companies that are embedded in Ireland and have their operations set up here. Talk to me about the angel investors and what they're guys and people who take a risk on startups. Yeah, so that was a relief that the minister introduced yesterday. So the angel investors, they're investors that provide seed money for the early stage startups. So what the minister brought in is a lower rate of capital gains tax, so a move from the 33% to either 16 or 18% for these angel investors. And that means if they, if they, when they sell their investment, that they won't be stung as much. Correct. There's a couple of conditions. There's a, there's a three-year holding period and the relief will be maxed out at twice the value of the investment and a lifetime limit of three million. But I think it is really positive in terms of stimulating investment within kind of the startup sector of the economy. Another interesting uh, announcement yesterday was the R&D tax credits. Yes, the R&D tax credit currently it's at 25% of your spend you get back as a tax credit. So if you invest in research and development, yeah. you can get 25% back currently and that goes Correct. up to? That's moving to 30%. So that's really positive. One of the reasons it was um, increased was to preserve the benefit of that regime as pillar two, that minimum tax rate comes in. And for the indigenous companies, you know, it's a real benefit, that increase of 5%. And I think that credit has been really important to the Irish economy. It's encouraged, you know, the high value Added R&D activity to be located here mm. and we've seen a lot of you know resultant benefit emanate from that credit and that regime. Do you regime. think it'll encourage smaller indigenous companies rather than the big Americans? I think it'll benefit all and will encourage and stimulate the R&D activity. One other kind of tweak that he made was that currently the smaller claimants can get up to 25,000 tax back in a cash payment in year one. That's been doubled to 50,000. So I think that is beneficial for the smaller claimants. Uh, Andrew Webb, can I bring you back in? Is there not a moral hazard of bailing out consumers when there is a kind of spike in costs, i.e. the government are helping with energy, they're helping with mortgages, they're helping with a lot of stuff. We may have the money now, but we may not have it in 10 years. I think that, that that's a point that needs some considerable thought, I think, over the pandemic. And, you know, we've, we've turned to government very readily to support anything where we, we've hit the buffers. So I think we do need to think longer term, can we continue to do that? Can we continue to afford that? But I think given the that these are considerable shocks and they're external shocks that have driven the inflation, so it started with the energy crisis that, that, that really ramped up after the uh, invasion of Ukraine. So I think just on that basis that it was external and and that speed of shock i think mm. the the injection of support from the government was you know the right thing to do okay well um stay with us both of you uh, sarah meredith and uh, andrew webb um we're going to come back and we'll bring in uh, danny mccoy to get a bigger business stay with us back in a moment breakfast business with enterprise ireland on news talk Yeah, welcome back to Grant Thornton's office in a room called Third and Forty Seventh, which sounds a lot like Manhattan rather than inner city. Andrew and Sarah are still with us from Grant Thornton. I presume that is not a ranking for Grant Thornton, Andrew. He <laughs> uh, came no, third, third no, and then Forty Seventh. Uh, it's actually at um, the Manhattan offices for uh, Grant Thornton. Um, let's uh, welcome Danny McCoy, the boss of IBAC, on the line. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Joe. Uh, Danny, were you glass half full or glass half empty from the budget yesterday for big business? Um, I think half uh, full, Joe. I mean, it's not it's not actually just uh, about big business. I think small business as well needs the type of investment ambition that's displayed there. 
and uh, and also yep. I think the, the other issues are you know there's an enhancement there is social cohesion because one of the features that we talk about quite a lot is the split now in our society between those with the haves and the have-nots and particularly with access to public services and to housing and so on so I think overall I think that's a very good budget. Yeah. Do you think that Irish entrepreneurs and SMEs got what they needed? They're not going to get everything that they need. And one of the things that wasn't in the budget is the build-up in uh, costs that are now contingent on the wage bill. We've seen a lot of things come through, the living wage, uh, right to disconnect, right to remote working, auto-enrollment pensions. There's a huge amount of layered costs. So the $250 package for SMEs is a start, but there'll be more to be done over the coming years because these will be recurring costs year in, year out. Yeah, the, the, the national minimum wage is going to go up to €12.70 an hour from next year. Um, that's probably okay for the medium-sized companies and the large companies can manage it, but the you know mom-and-pop operations and small companies might struggle with that. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it, it doesn't end there, Joe, because the commitment from the government, which has been well flagged, but it's still very expensive, is to bring this to a moving target, which is 60% of median earnings in the country. So from what we can see already, this is going to be done in three steps. So the living wage, while it's gone to 12.70 in today's terms, is heading for 15 euros in, in two more steps coming. So that's why I mean by the layering of costs, there's going to be need to be a bigger package directed towards those small and medium enterprises in the future. There's a lot coming at them at the moment, not just in the budget yesterday, but the budget on its own terms is dealing with some of the pressures that those small firms are going to have to deal with anyhow, which is that in addition, it's not just at the minimum wage or at the living wage, it's right up across the the wage structure. People, if they don't have access to housing and access to services, come to their employer looking for higher wages, but that's kind of a vicious circle. So the government needs to break that circle. I think the ambition in this Oh dear, we're losing Danny. Well, let's quickly turn to Andrew, who is here beside me. Um, the living wage costs um, or the national minimum wage costs um, for small companies will add up. It will, but I, th- I think the point Danny was, was making there is that, you know, when, when people can't afford housing and, and can't afford the services, they come to their employer and ask for pay rises. So, I mean, this is trying to address that and trying to bring, just bring a, a base standard of living and, and enable employees to, to be able to access you know good quality housing because we, we, we do face a massive competitiveness challenge in the economy where we're you know if, if we have people who can't afford housing well then there's something seriously wrong and if there, there isn't enough housing to go around that, that's a major flaw in the system too so I mean I have a, I have a lot of sympathy for the, the businesses who will have to bear these costs but equally you know a, a fair wage and a living wage um, that reflects the cost in the economy where, where people that, that can access services and, and good quality services, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and would you say that Ireland is starting to price itself out of the market because uh, its wages are so high now? I mean, they're they're seriously already at Scandinavian levels. I think that there are some serious competitiveness challenges. I think, you know, we, we're doing a lot of work around county councils on economic development plans. And we're hearing time and again how there's a real lack of, of available skills, a, a lack of available people to fill jobs. And employers are having to do things like uh, provide, you know, p- 
buy houses, turn them into houses for multiple occupation and provide them at a, a discounted rate to attract people to their firms. So when you're in an economy like that, then there's there's some serious competitiveness flaws in there that need to be addressed. There are, so compas- capacity, constraints. There are capacity constraints. Um, can I bring back in uh, Sarah Meredith, also from Grant Thornton? The commercial rates for SMEs, was that addressed in the budget? Yeah, so that was referred to as an increased cost of business scheme and those small businesses will get a cash payment back linked to their commercial rates. So up to half the commercial rates was the detail. Um, The timing of that is unclear in terms of when they'll actually be able to access the cash. And there was a reference to 130,000 small and medium businesses should be able to tap into that relief. And does that mean that they kind of will there be something of a levelling up going on between them and the giant internet companies that might not have to pay the same rates? Yeah, certainly the, that relief is just targeted to small and medium businesses in terms of the views that, that they're the ones that need it the most. OK, well, thank you both for, for joining us. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Danny McCoy from IBEC back on the line. His line was uh, pretty awful. Uh, but thankfully, we had Sarah Meredith, tax partner with uh, Grant Thornton. Andrew Webb, the chief economist at Grant Thornton. Back in a moment from City Key with all the markets. Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on Newstalk live from Grant Thornton's building overlooking the Custom House here in Dublin and Sarah Quirk from Good Bodies is with us on the line. Good morning, Sarah. Morning, Joe. Can we start with X? X is in trouble with the EU. Yeah, so um, we heard reports last night the EU Commissioner for Internal Markets They've issued a warning to Elon Musk and to, to X around the spread of illegal content, disinformation on the platform, in particularly in relation to the, the Israeli-Hamas conflict. Um, and, you know, not only have there been reports and kind of documentary reports of disinformation on the platform, but even Elon Musk himself has tweeted, um, you know, directing users in, in the where to look for, for information. And then those those platforms or those sites have been known for, for also, um, you know, uh, distributing um, illegal or disinformation content. Yeah, so it's not only the platform, but also Elon Musk himself. So it's, it's pretty serious. And, you know, there's a yeah, new Digital given- Services Act... Sorry, go no, and he's been given 20, 24 hours, Sarah, to respond. And that was, by my calculation, 10 or 11 hours ago. Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty serious. And it is this Digital Services Act. So it's this new legislation from the European Commission. And it requires platforms that have over 45 million active users monthly in the EU. And, um, you know, they have a requirement to monitor for false or illegal content to remove it. And also to de- detail their process for, for dealing with it. So, you know, potentially there can be fines of up to 6% of the, the company's annual revenue if these aren't dealt with appropriately. And they have alluded that they are willing and, and going to use um, these kinds of measures if they don't see X cleaning up its act. And in 30 seconds, Birkenstocks are floating on the stock exchange. Yeah, so last night we had Birkenstock IPO. So with this sort of 250-year-old heritage brand, um, so the stock's, um, issued at $46. So they've raised about $1.5 billion. Um, but the, the main owner of the, the company they were bought over in 2021 oh. is LVMH, or the private equity company behind this. So it's a, a valued, they bought it in All 2021 right. for $4, million, $4 billion. It's valued now at about 8.6. Thanks so much, Sarah. Sarah Quirk there from Good Bodies. That's it for now from GT. Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on Newstalk.